Why is the church so essential to life? And that's kind of the question I want to deal with this morning. So I always appreciate hearing stories about children. I'm, like I said, I'm not a good joke teller. I just like stories. And so here's a story about children that I thought was kind of interesting. While visiting a young neighbor, a five-year-old Andrew pulled out his kindergarten class picture and immediately began describing each classmate. This is Robert. He hits everyone. This is Stephen. He never listens to the teacher. This is Mark. He chases everyone and is very noisy. Pointing to his own picture, Andrew commented, and this is me. I'm just sitting here minding my own business. I wonder if sometimes we have like an elevated view of ourselves. I mean, I don't know about you. We drove Mrs. Steinacker, our sixth grade teacher, absolutely bonkers. Myself, Vince DePayne, Mike, we were just horrible. I still remember these words. I am sick, 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 ill of it. That's what she would tell us. Almost daily she would tell us that. We were just a rambunctious group of people, young boys, and we just couldn't get it straight. And that's just who we are. It's interesting. I, I look at these boys described here, Robert and Stephen and Mark, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I actually think about, I think about the disciples. I mean, I think about the followers of Jesus. Peter. I mean, Peter, boisterous, rambunctious. I mean, here's a guy that was absolutely all over the place. How many times did he not listen to Jesus? And how many times did he take matters into his own hands? He's going to whack off Malchus's ear. I mean, do you think he was a bit boisterous at times? Obviously he was. What about James and John? I love James and John. James and John, are, uh, they're going into Samaria, and, and they're like, okay, they're not listening to us. Lord, do you want us to just call down fire from heaven and let's just burn every one of them up? That's James and John. Those are the followers, the disciples of, of Jesus. By the way, they're arguing at one point in particular uh, about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. I wonder if that kind of reveals uh, the human heart, if you will, the way that we are. What I love about those little boys and what I love about us is this, that despite our foibles, despite our unique personalities, despite our mistakes... God says, listen, I'm going to use that person, and I want to use that person, and I want to use that person. If you're sitting here today, and you think that you are not essential to the church, I want to tell you something, you are absolutely wrong. If you are a believer in Jesus, the Spirit of God lives inside of you, and God has called you to be part of this wonderful thing, the family of God, the citizens of heaven, this building that he's uh, creating, this church that Jesus is building. He has called and created you to be a part of this so that we can build up and we can honor one another and ultimately so that Jesus can be glorified. This isn't about your talent. This is about how wise you are. This is about how great you are. This is about how much money you give. This is ultimately about something that God does inside of broken and fallen people to honor and glorify him so, so that we come together collectively as the family of God and we build up each other as we go through this ugliest thing called life. That's, that's what we're called to be. And, and, and think about it. The world is out there. The world is out there. And guess what they're looking at? They're looking at the church. They're looking at us. And we're not perfect. Listen, I get it. Man, in many ways, I'm not even any different than when I was in sixth grade with Mrs. Steinacker. 
You know, I wonder sometimes if God is going, I'm sick, 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 ill of it, Clint, for crying out loud. Because we're broken people. But in the midst of all that, God says, listen, what I want to do is I, I want to use you. And I can use you in spite of yourself. Because I'm much bigger than you. And I'm much more powerful than you. And, but, but I can work in and through you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to, to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And what I want to do is uh, I want to look at Peter. I mean, I love, I love this guy. You're going to probably be hearing quite a bit of him the next couple of weeks. But I, I love this guy because of all of his foibles and all the ways that he made mistakes in life. And, and, and God redeemed his life and God used him. And um, we're going to look at a letter that he wrote. And what I want you to do is just, I just want you to go with me. Just, I want you to picture something. I mean, imagine you're at first century church. And maybe a guy by the name of Silas shows up and he says, hey, I have a letter. It's a circular letter. And what I'm doing is I'm going to go around and I want, I want all these people to read it. So you're in this little house church. You're inside of some guy's house and you're all sitting there and you're a wounded church. You've got somebody who's lost their job over here and you've got somebody who's suffering over here. And you've got some, some people that are just at odds with each other. And, and, and we're the church. We're gathered together. And, 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 and we have this letter. And at the end of the letter, we have the reason why, why Peter's writing to these people scattered. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Notice what he says. He says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly. Okay, this is, I'm writing to you briefly. Why? Encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. So all that I'm going to give you, all that I'm going to write, these five chapters, all of this is about God's grace. And now what I want you to do, I want you to stand fast in it. So whatever I'm going to give you, whatever instructions, I want you to hang on to and stand fast on it. Why? Because that's the true grace of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a person of grace. Recognizing what God has done in my life, man, I want to be an extension of God's grace. And so what we have is we have the word of the Lord from Peter about how we can stand fast in God's grace. So let me just read the word. Let me just read it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each, each one, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Man, if that does not strike a little bit of responsibility and fear to those of us who speak and to teach God's word, I don't know about you, but it sure does me. If anyone serves, you should do it with the strength that God provides. Isn't that interesting? So whatever we do, the strength that God provides. Why? Why is it? What is the ultimate goal for you and I? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory in the power forever and ever. Amen. God created us to be in the body of Christ so that we may honor and glorify him. That is the ultimate goal for you and I today. So no matter what we would do today, this week, what hopefully our desire would be to do, listen, God, I want to honor you. And I want to glorify you. Not myself, but you. Because we are God's, God's people, and he loves us. Father, thank you for your word. God, I thank you from beginning to end. This word is about people whose lives have been radically changed by the power of God, by the, the gospel of Jesus, God's grace in our lives. And Father, I, I ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things from your word.
Lord, about our responsibility to one another and the family of God, the body of Christ. Father, we need each other. Lord, I don't know why each person came here today, but Lord, I know that through your word, you would like to teach us and remind us about the responsibility that we have, Father, to the family of God. And Father, how you desire, no matter who we are, where we are at in life, you desire to use us to help other people honor and glorify you. So Father, I ask that you would speak to us, and it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. So as, as Peter gets to the close of this letter, he's got a bunch of imperatives. We call them commands. He's going to say, listen, I want you to do a couple of things. I, I want you to be on the alert. Pay attention. Uh, I want you to exercise self-control. I want you to be careful what you think about. I want you to be careful what you do in life. I, w- I want you to make sure that you love one another. And by the way, I want you to serve. And that spiritual gift that you have, I want you to, I want you to use that. So what do you have? So you have some imperatives. We call them commands about the responsibility that we're supposed to have in life. And so what I want to do is I want to look at your and our responsibility to in the essential church. Are, are we essential to the church? And I would say yes, and I think Peter would say yes. We are essential to the church. And, and why is it? Because, number one, there's a sense of urgency. There is a sense of urgency of life. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is near. Hmm, what does that mean? The end of all things is near. So not being very smart... I decided I would get on my Google browser and I, and I type evolution and the future. Evolution and the end of all things. What, what's going to happen at the end of evolution? And I found out a couple of things. Now listen, I'm not intelligent. I'm just going to give you what I, what I learned. So evidently the, the world is going to die in a billion years. I'm like, wow, oh, phew. at least I got a little bit of time. <laughs> but, the, but evolution says that there's going to be an end. It could be the world may be getting by, hit by an asteroid. That, that could end it. Or, or maybe this thing called the sun is just going to eventually evaporate. It's going to burn out. Or maybe there's going to be something in, in the water that's going to happen, and, and uh, it's just going to, all the water's going to evaporate, and something's going to happen there. Or maybe because of humanity, as we look around, and we see all the things going on, wars, rumors of war, we see poverty, we see all of these things going on, maybe we say, well, you know, we're just going to self-destruct here. I mean, think People are concerned about that. By the way, in 1947, they started the doomsday clock. The doomsday clock. Um, Einstein and some other people started the doomsday clock. And by the way, we are 90 seconds to midnight in the doomsday clock. 90 seconds to midnight. Why is that? Well, because people look around going, wait a minute, what's going to happen? There's going to end coming here. And, and, what, and what Peter says is, yeah, there's an end coming. I'm going to just jump over to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to what the word says. Peter writes these things, he says in verse 9, the, low is, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise at some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but to everyone to come to repentance. What, what is the promise there? The promise is this. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the Lord. There is going to be a point in time when Jesus is going to return. He may capture us and take us up to be with him. At some point in time, he is going to return. There's going to be a millennial kingdom. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. At some point in time, all of this is going to come to an end. But the reason it's going to come to an end is because what God is doing. God is moving and working in redemptive history. That's what Peter says. He says, listen, I don't want anyone to perish. What is happening now? We have the opportunity, we have the privilege, if you will, knowing that the end is going to come, to be going about building God's church by telling people about Jesus. Yes, there is an end coming. 
But what we need to do and what we want to do is to be about God's business, about telling people, about building God's church by telling people about the life, death, burial, and resurrection, how they can be reconciled to a holy God for who he is and what he has done. And by the way, if you go back and read this, if you read First Peter, he, he talks about what's going to happen in the end. In other words, he gives us a hint of what life will look like in the end. Things like this. We're going to go to our eternal home. There's an inheritance coming for us. There is the consummation of our salvation. And it's not just the fact that, hey, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be with God's people. The consummation of our salvation is this, that I'm going to be transformed, that this thing called sin that, that's inside of me is going to be taken away from me. It's going to be eradicated. And I'm going to be with Jesus. And I'm going to see Jesus. He's going to be revealed as he is. And I'm going to be just like him. And I'm going to be in his eternal home. And all of the pain and all of the suffering of this world, the weight of that pain and suffering of which these people would know all about, all of that is going to come to fruition in God's eternal glory, if you will. And then there's going to be a stewardship entrusted. I mean, not a stewardship, but there's going to be accounting of all the things that have been given to us. We are stewards of certain things, our time, talent, and treasure. And there's going to be a day of reckoning, if you will. And for those who do not know Jesus, guess what? They're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for their lives. In other words, what we are doing is we're moving to the final consummation, if you will. That's what he's talking about. A culmination, a consummation, a fulfillment of God's divine purpose for us. And we have the great privilege of being a part of that by building God's church, by telling people about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, the end is coming, and it should remind us there is a sense of urgency about the way that we live. The final consummation of the age is when Jesus delivers up the kingdom of God. And Father, all things will be restored. All things will be restored. The Bible talks about Romans chapter 8 about creation groaning. What is it groaning for? It's groaning for the restoration of the world, the new heavens and the new earth. Even creation groans. Our bodies groan to be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ because our citizenship is in heaven. Sin will be no more and God will reign supremely without an enemy. And sin and Satan and all of that's going to be done away with. And so what that should remind us of is this, that we should live our lives with a sense of urgency. Listen, if somebody was really important coming to your house tomorrow, and you knew it, you had 24 hours to prepare, what would you do? If they were really, let's say the President of the United States were coming to your house, what would you do? Well, some of you probably not do anything, right? <laughs> all right, this, yeah, all right. My point is this. If someone important, okay, let's, let's, let's change this then. If Jesus is going to come to your house tomorrow, <laughs> oh, well, if Jesus is coming, I'm going to change, right? Well, it's very true. If you knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow, every one of us would be on our best behavior. I'd be sitting at my desk at Mrs. Steinacker's class going, what do you want me to do? And, and my point is this, and I think that's what Peter said. Listen, there's a sense of urgency about the way that we're to live our lives. My life has been changed. Your life has been transformed by the gospel of God's grace. So what we want to do is we want to live with a sense of urgency. What does that look like? Well, let's just walk through it. What is that sense of urgency that he wants to do? Number one, pay attention. Verse 7 says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Be clear-minded and self-controlled. Let me ask you, do you ever get distracted? Do you ever walk in the room and go, why did I come in here? 
And then you got to walk back out and go do the things that you were doing before so you can remember why. Do you ever get distracted? Maybe you're distracted because life is really, really busy for you. Or maybe it's the pressure of life. Maybe there's that, that, oh, that pressure of life and you're, you've got plates spinning and, and, and you just don't know what to do. I think we all get distracted. I think we all get clouded at mind, if you were. And we don't know what to do. It's really easy for us. So there, I'm going to give you a test. There's a man by the name of Daniel Kahneman. And he wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. He's a Nobel Prize-winning economist, and he uses a simple puzzle to show the importance of slowing down. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to put it on there, and I just want you to, we're going to read through it, and then you, in your mind, give the answer to the, to the, to the puzzle, all right? I want you to do that, all right? Some of you are already panicking. All right, here we go. Here's the, okay, here it is. A bat and a ball cost $1.10. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. Not a problem. How much does the ball cost? Okay, we're all going through it. I did this, and I came up with a dollar. All right? That's what I came up with. Very simple. Uh, We see that the puzzle evokes intuition, appealing. It's very appealing to us, but it's also, my answer is absolutely, it's wrong. Right? Some of you are smart enough. Some of you already figured this out. Let's walk through it. The math does not add up. If the ball costs 10 cents, then the total cost would be how much? $1.20, right? Because the, the bat costs a dollar more than the ball. So that would be $1.20, right? You follow me on this? So what is the actual cost of the ball? It's five cents. And he goes on to say, listen, that's not something that's hard. People at Harvard, 50% of Harvard students, MIT students, they all got it wrong. And people at other universities, 80% of people at other universities also got it wrong. The issue is not about intelligence. The issue is not about how smart we are. The issue is about this, and this is the point. He says, solving this puzzle doesn't depend on intelligence as much as it depends on our willingness to slow down, focus intently, and pay attention. And that is precisely what Peter is trying to get us to do. Don't have a cloud in mind. Be under self-control. What are you thinking about? What's going on and through your head? What's going on in your heart? Are you slowing down to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you in such a way that you're not panicked? I look around what's going on in my family, and I'm concerned. Concern is a good thing, but I'm not panicked. I'm not going to be panicked about all the different things. And I look about what's going on in my my city, and, and, and maybe my state, and maybe the government. And we've got a really, really big election this year. And let me ask you something. What, what if the person that you vote for is not the one that's going to be the president or governor or whatever? Well, how, how are you going to respond? Are, are we going to end up in a state of panic? I think what Peter's saying, listen, we don't panic in all of those things. Why don't we panic in all of those circumstances of our life? Because we know the end. God is working to a great, grand, grand and glorious culmination where one day Jesus is going to return. Make no bones about it. And what we can do is we don't rest in our circumstances. We don't rest in the fact that all of these things are going well or this place is going well or that our country is going well. We are concerned about all of the things, but what are we resting in? We are resting in the unique person of Jesus who has all things under control. And my faith and my trust, whether it be for my family, myself, 
for other people is in ultimately in Jesus. I trust in him. And what it does, it frees me. Knowing that, that he is ultimately in control, what I can do is I can be clear-minded and I can act appropriately because I know that ultimately what he says is going to come to fruition. Why are we clear-minded and self-controlled? Because the text tells us. So you can pray. He wants to be people of prayer. He wants to be people approach him, knowing the difficulties and the challenges of life and all the different things going on in our lives. We need to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can pray. And we meet on Wednesday night to pray. We see God do certain things on Wednesday night because of the faithful prayers of his people. We have people that meet after our service on Sunday, after the service, to, to pray. That's why we want to invite you to come out next Sunday night so that we can be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that we can come together and pray. And what ultimately is prayer? It's worship, but isn't it ultimately trusting God? Not my will, but your will be done. Isn't it an opportunity for us to lay ourselves on our feet at Jesus and say, listen, I, 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 I trust you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. Listen, there's a sense of urgency about our lives. And that sense of urgency, because what we need to be doing is pay attention to what's going on so that we can pray. So we pay attention. Second thing is this. We love deeply. Look at verse 8. Above all. Okay, on the checklist of your life, I want you to put something at the top there. I want you to make a priority of your life. Above everything else, I want you to put this thing called love right at the top. So my life now is about the way that I would display love to my wife, to my family. Notice what he says. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. When you think about the word love in the Bible, what goes through your head? For me, it's like, uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. John three sixteen. most of us are very, very familiar with that. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you have love for one another. John chapter 13. I can't tell you how many weddings I've done where they, people want us to recite 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter of the Bible. Why? Because it's appropriate. I mean, when you're getting married... You're standing up before God and the pastor, and you want to agree to all of these wonderful things. You want to be treated like 1 Corinthians 13, don't you? Well, what we want to do is we want to make sure that, we're, that we are treating other people like 1 Corinthians 13. By the way, you know what the word um, love each other deeply means? It means this. Love is it's stretched. It's, you ever got a, a barbell? And you begin pushing up that barbell, and you're like pushing it up, pushing it up. I've got like 10 pounds, and I'm pushing it up, pushing it up, struggling, struggling, struggling. And my muscles are just taunt. Yeah. I got 10 pounds over my head. It means to stretch. Have you ever seen a horse from there? The horse is rounding that last turn, Kentucky Derby, and heading down the stretch. And man, and that jockey is tapping him on the side, smacking him on the side. And that horse's legs, they are outstretched. That's what that word means. That we are to stretch in our love for other people. Why do we have to stretch? Because sometimes we don't treat people kindly, do we? We don't want to stretch. We want to just write them off. We want to just get rid of them and walk away. What we want to do is we want to sit around and mind our own business. Because if I mind my own business, guess what? I'm not going to get in trouble with anyone. And no one's going to get in trouble with me. I want to just sit here and I want to do what I need to do. Walk in, walk out. 
And if I can find my life to this, guess what? I'm going to be happy because I don't have to, I don't have to stretch or be stretched. Listen, sometimes, I hate to say it, I am unlovable, and I get it, and I get it. And sometimes we're all just a little bit unlovable. And when it happens, I think what the Bible wants us to do is, you need to stretch. You need to stretch. You need to not, not be so arrogant thinking that you're, it's all about you, but you just need to stretch because somebody stretched for you. By the way, Jesus stretched for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While in my state of sin, in all of the the horrible way that I live my life apart from Jesus and the gospel, Jesus went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice for me. And I can't stretch in my relationship with my spouse or my children or with somebody else. I would just ask you this. Listen, stretch for me, please. Will you? Stretch for me. Proverbs chapter 10 says this. Hatred stirs up dissension. Think about that phrase for just a minute. I thought about that this week. Hatred stirs up dissension. I, I wonder if that calls us to mind of, of what's happening when dissension, when, when we're bringing dissension into a relationship. I understand that, the, that we all get sideways and there's tension. I get that. But if we're bringing dissension in a, in a way that's not healthy, in a way that's talking about other people, in a way that's not uh, working to, to bridge the relationship and to restore the relationship, it, it says that we don't like that other person. Notice what it says. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. Listen, it's beneficial for us in the family of God to stretch and to help each other in their journey by covering their sin. That's what it means. It means to cover their failures, to cover the issues and the difficulties and the challenges they're going through in life. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stretch in such a way that, that I cover their sin because love covers a multitude of sin. That's what it is. I'm going to cover that person. I'm going to cover that relationship. I'm, I'm not going to blab it to other people. I think there's a flip side of this, and, and the flip side of this is, is this. Love also demands, if you will, that when we get off track, that sometimes we have to go to that person and speak in love to that person about something. Well, we don't ignore sin. We don't just push under the rug. We can't do that. But sometimes that's what love does. It stretches in a different way. It stretches because, oh, I really don't want to do this. This is really hard to do. But I need to do it. I need to go to that person. And I need to show them, listen, for a little bit, I, I want to talk to you about something. Because we love each other. That, that's what love does. And sometimes when we do the hard thing, what it does is if they're receptive, what are they going to do? They're going to change. They're going to repent. That's, that's the goal. That's God's goal for us when he convicts us of our sins so that we would repent and turn and change and we would walk and go in a different way so that we could trust him for who he is. We confess our sin. He is faithful and righteous what, to forgive us of all of our sins. Sometimes we need to go to that person and talk to them. So what do we do? We love deeply. We stretch when it's difficult and, and challenging. Here's a sense of urgency about the way that we live. Number three, look at verse nine. I want to encourage you to make room for others. The, the problem of us sitting in, in our desk at school and just doing the right thing is the fact that maybe we never interact with other people. And we just, we just so concerned about doing something wrong that we don't expand and, and God 
uh, doesn't have a chance to use this. Look at verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The, the word hospitality, you know what it means? It means a lover of strangers. It means a lover of strangers. That's what they did back there in that culture. When somebody would come into the town, a lot of times they would go to the gate, and somebody would come out, and what would they do? They would, they would welcome, they would offer their home, if you will, to strangers. They did that. And I would imagine it was so that in 1 Peter, if, if people are facing persecution, or if they're facing difficulties and challenges, maybe they're ostracized, maybe they've been kicked out of the family, maybe things are not healthy in the city, so what did they have to do? They had to open their homes, their, their resources to other people so that they can help them and build them up in the family of God. Hospitality is an incredible way that we have to open up, open up, stretch, Open up what our time, talent, and resources. And why does he say without grumbling? Because it's hard, and it's inconvenient, and it's difficult at times. It's not easy to do. So what we need to do is we need to be people that offer, maybe it's a time thing. Maybe it's a talent that you have. Maybe it's your resources that you have. And say, listen, I, I want to help you in some way. I want to offer hospitality to you. Okay, can I give us all an assignment can I get here? Here's the assignment. This, this, within the next month, maybe gather together with someone that you don't know with the idea that, hey, listen, let's get together and let's just have lunch together. Let's have dinner together. Let's just visit. Let's coin an eel. Let's fellowship together. And then do something really radical. Pay for it. <laughs> have, a, have a fight over who's going to pay for it. The issue is not money. The issue is this. What, what I think what we need to do is what we want to do is we want to be people who are being hospitable to other people. Doesn't that warm your heart when somebody does something kind to you? Absolutely it does. And I think that's what he's talking about. Be hospitable to other people. Offer your time, talent, and treasures to other people. By the way, some of you are sitting there, you're going, uh, you're young, and you're like, well, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to offer. I was in a, doing a, a class last Sunday, and, and somebody mentioned that, well, I'm just 12, and I don't really have a lot to offer. And, and I went home, and I thought about that. And I thought, you know what? My mind went to Paul's nephew. He's a young man. We don't know exactly how old he was, but he was a young man. And he heard about the plot to kill Paul from the, uh, the Jewish leaders, what they were going to do. And rather than not doing anything... In Acts, the book of Acts, he is recorded as doing something. He went and told Paul. Paul took him to someplace else. And because of his stepping up as a young man and doing something and not ignoring all the things which we like to do because we don't want to get our business into somebody else's, he risked it all, probably risked it his life by telling other people. They told the commander. And because of that, Paul's life was spared. doesn't matter how old you are. You can... Be a part of this thing. How many times do we see a young person um, selling something on the side of the road that ends up raising a lot of money for a cause? We can be out there using our gifts, our talents, our resources to help other people. There's a sense of urgency. Watch and pray. Be self-controlled. Love. Make room for others. And, and, and finally, this is where we're going to end, and, and I'll end it here. God, if you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift in the family of God. And God wants to use you in a unique way. And I think as we take this apart, we see how uniquely gifted each one of us are and how God wants to use us in a unique way. Notice what he says, verse 10. Each one. By the way, it doesn't say pastors. It 
doesn't say elders, doesn't say deacons, doesn't say all the intelligent people, doesn't say all the happy people, it says each one. Peter was in each one. All of those people were in each one. I love that. Each one should use whatever gift he has received. What does that mean? That means God has given you something valuable to use in the family and the body of God. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God would be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Listen, God expects to use you. He does. He expects to use you in a way that only you can be used in the body of Christ, in the family of God. No one can use their gift, their talent, their ability the way that you can. And each one of us are needed and used in the family of God. I, I think sometimes we have this idea of, well, yeah, you don't know my past. You, you, don't, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know. I, and I can't do this. I, I'm, I'm damaged goods. Um, if you follow golf, uh, Jordan Spieth was, um, he was kicked out of, he was, I don't know, it wasn't kicked out. He was disqualified from a tournament because uh, he signed an incorrect scorecard. You know, he gets to the end, 18th hole, you sign your scorecard. He walked out of the tent, he, he uh, wrote down the wrong score, so he signed for the wrong scorecard. And guess what? They, they just said, see you later, bye. You're out of the tournament. And I think sometimes we have that mentality. We think, well, you, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. And we think that, well, there is no way that God could use you. Think about Peter. Think about the life of Peter. When you go back and you read through his life and all of the different things that he did, this guy was a mess of his life. The things that he would say, the things that he would do, chopping off ears, boasting, I'll never deny you. I mean, the, the, the squadron of soldiers come and there could be over a hundred of them and he takes a knife and he takes a, a sword and, he, and he's going to chop off Malchus's ear, right? He's going to get them all. Malchus ducks, whacks his ear off. Jesus heals him. And then who does he deny himself to? Three times. A servant girl. A servant girl. Really? You're going to take on all these people? And he's worn himself by the fire and his servant girl comes up and says, you knew him. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. And, and that's the picture that we have of Peter. And God says, I'm going to use that man. I'm going to use that man. I'm going to build my church. The gates of Hades are not going to prevail. And the book of Acts, Peter's going to take the message to the Jewish people, and he's going to tell them about Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 10, he's going to tell Cornelius. And what, what Peter does is he unlocks the keys of the kingdom, if you will, to Jews and Gentiles because of the uniqueness of God using him, Jesus using him. Real quickly, let me just walk through this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, notice what it says about you and I says this, for we are God's workmanship. It, it means this, is God is fashioning us together. He's fashioning us together in a beautiful, it's like a tapestry. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what? To do good works, which God prepared for us to do in advance. God has already gone before us. So as I, I, I live my life this week and I go out, well, I, I'm looking for ways to serve other people. I've got my eyes up, I'm paying attention, my blinder, I, I'm looking for ways that God would allow me to serve other people. I mean, you, you have no idea 
the words that you may say to someone at a particular moment, point in time. You have no idea what God can do to use that. For that little uh, uh, nephew of, of Paul, who just coincidentally happened to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah, right. God used that young man. And so what we have is we see that God decides to use each one of us. Notice what it says. Each one. Every one of us. This is personal. Every one of us has a spiritual gift. And God expects us to be used for his honor and for his glory. You're unique, whatever gift. In other words, you have the opportunity to serve in a way that I can. Even among teaching gifts. We have people that teach in entirely different ways. You may have two teachers, one over here, one over here, and they may teach in entirely different ways, but God uses them in a unique way. Each one, whatever. Whatever gift he has received, notice this is a blessing. This is a grace gift. That's what it's called. It's a grace gift. God graces you with this gift to be able to use in the body of Christ to build up the family of God. We are not our own. And by the way, you're important. Notice it says, to serve others. That spiritual gift is not for you. It's to be used in the body of Christ to serve other people in the family of God because God can use you in a unique way than any other person. Remember, it's not about you and what we offer. It's about us serving the Lord and what God wants to do through us. And by the way, notice what it says, you're needed. It says faithfully administrating administering God's grace in its various forms. As you and I go about using our gifts, our talents, our ability, God is using us to administer His grace. We are extensions of God's grace to other people through the gift that He's given to us. And so when we leave here, we have this great privilege of being used by God. Listen, you are essential. You're essential to the family of God. And God wants to use us in a mighty way. Why? Because of verse 11. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We want to honor Jesus so that he is glorified for who he is and what he's done in our life. When we recognize all that he's done for us, we are merely his servants and we have the great privilege, if you will, of being able to minister and serve, not in our own strength, but in the strength that he would provide for us. Listen, you're needed. Show up. Come to church. Use your gifts. Use your talents. Your abilities in the family of God. Pay attention. Keep your eyes, ears open as you walk out that door and God brings people into your life who might need something tangible, might need a word, might need a phone call, might need a card from you to speak truth into their lives. And when life is difficult and it's hard, feel yourself being stretched. Feel yourself being stretched. We've all been there before. But be stretched in a good way so that we can cover whatever offenses are out there and so that Jesus would be honored and glorified. Okay, so I'm, I'm done. Um, but I want to tell you something that we did. Uh, this morning, in some of our classes, we handed out a spiritual gift test. 
And basically the purpose was so that um, we wanted to make sure that people had a tool so that maybe you don't know what your spiritual gift is. Maybe you've never taken a test. Maybe, maybe you're at that place where you're, you're trying to figure out, well, you know, what's next for me? What we wanted to do is we wanted to give you a, a, a spiritual gift test. So I have 10 of them here. Um, I don't know if we have this. You can do this online. Um, there is two places online. Um, and I can give that to you. Um, evidently, these two slides did not get on there. Uh, the first one is mini tools and then free shape tests. You can go online and you can take these tests. And basically what it is, it gives you a series of questions and you answer them. And what it does is it helps you. It's a tool to help you, to direct you to what spiritual gifts you might have in the body of Christ and the family of God. And I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, get online, take a look at it. Figure out where you're at in the family of God because God desires to use you. And if not, if you don't want to do that, um, I have about 10 of these little spiritual gifts tests that you can take home with you, put it in your Bible, and you can uh, fill it out at your leisure and bring it back and let us know what you would want the Lord to be a part, to, to find a place for you to serve in the family of God. It's just a simple tool to remind us, listen, every one of us are needed in the body of Christ. You can go back and look at Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. And over and over it talks about the importance of the family of God and those who are gifted in the body of Christ in order to serve the family of God. I hope that you will do that. And by the way, remember, what's our, what's our first assignment? Take someone out to lunch. Take someone out to dinner that you don't necessarily know. And, and it'll be awkward at first to be like, well, he told us to do this, so... It's awkward. I don't know what to do. Let's go. And just figure out what you need to do. It's a fun thing, all right? Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, I thank you that despite our foibles, God, despite our weaknesses, or despite our mistakes, Father, you choose to use us in the family of God, and I'm so grateful for that. Father, I'm grateful for the men and women who serve every week. We have a group of people that pray. We have people that teach. We have people who give, lead, serve. Father, there's people who are doing things that we don't even know what they do. And I, I just thank you for that. Father, I thank you for the way that you gift the family of God. And Father, we are, we are strong because of the collectiveness of each one of us. And uh, we need each other in the family of God. And I, I pray that we would sense that today. That we would sense this need that we have. We would sense this need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, even if it's a small part. And Father, this, this need of, of living with a sense of urgency. Um, Lord, we, we can get distracted and by a lot of things. And Father, I pray that there would be a, a sense of urgency about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. So Father, we just uh, look to you. Father, I ask that you would guide and direct us this morning, lead us. Father, lead us this week into conversations that we can have with other people about Jesus and how we can serve. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.